Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the world of work and how creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and rule breakers infuse their daily lives with creativity and curiosity. How driven are you to create something that's never been seen before? Mercedes Austin is endlessly curious about inventing a new pattern and fuels that search for uniqueness with humility, resilience, and dignity. She is a mosaic artist and founder of Mercury Mosaics, a company on a mission to redefine your expectations of what tile is and how it can transform a space. In this conversation, Mercedes shares where her love for tile and mosaics came from and how she turned a one-woman operation into a thriving business. We talk about entrepreneurial resourcefulness, communicating your vision to others while simultaneously learning to let them contribute, transparency in business, and how investing in personal creative time can help you solve business problems and be more innovative. Show notes for this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 752. While you're there, you'll also find the entire podcast archive, links to the short documentary series and weekly newsletter, and the latest merch to show your love and support. I think if I just answer it, I always like to just go with the first thing that crossed my mind. And I'm always endlessly curious about if I can invent a new pattern. Like I'm always in search of like, what is the new pattern going to be? So far, it's never occurred. I've always like eventually, like I thought, okay, I've came up with it. And then suddenly you are like, oh, dang, that manufacturer already did it. It's our, oh man, I thought this was like original. Okay. So I, I have yet to figure out a pattern that has never been done before, but I'm endlessly curious about that. I love that. What, <laughs> how do you deal with that feeling though, of when you have that awareness that it exists already? Humility. Mm. Yeah. It's almost like, well, I can give this example for sure for tile is I never used to notice it before, but once I became aware of it, I see it everywhere. Patterns are the same way where I'm like, <laughs> I, it's funny too. Cause one of our most recent patterns, my team was like, Oh yeah, I've, I've, I think I've seen that before. And I was like, well, show me. <laughs> and then, you yeah. know, we come out with it and sure. Yeah. I see it on clothing. I see it on notebooks and I do see it in tile. I'm like, damn. Okay. But I was, I didn't look, in other places for it. It just kept coming mm. into my mind of like this specific pattern. But I think, yeah, just humility and not ego of like being defeated, but going like, of course, I mean, how many new patterns could there actually possibly be? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What a powerful question though. Like, I know it seems like maybe a, a limiting question of like, you know, how many patterns could there be? But what I heard was, how many patterns could there be? So right. I, my mind just starts exploding with what ifs. Yeah. And you can for sure make existing patterns unique. Like I, I used to be in a relationship with a musician and I do respect his point of view that he shared with me is like, there's no new guitar chords, but how you can make a song unique is through individual lyrics and how the guitar chords are put together. And I view tile and mosaic patterns the same way is it's probably true that all patterns have been already thought of, but it's mm -hmm. how you curate the colors and the pattern arrangement that makes it unique. And then your own spin on like for us, how we apply the color to the clay. 
So it's just this humility of like, I think I probably won't ever discover a new pattern, but I won't give up. (laughs) It's like, so I plan to do this absolutely for the rest of my life. So there could be something in there that I discover that no one else has ever done. Yeah. What a driving force though for your <laughs> the work of your life because like I don't know I get it like I just it makes sense to me. Mhm. Yeah, <laughs> like what box of crayons have people not used before and like try to figure out what it is and create combinations that are enjoyable on the pursuit. Yeah, I love that. What what got you interested in tile and mosaics? In the first place, I had seen simply a college roommate putting together a mosaic coffee table in our front porch. And I had never thought about tile or mosaics before. And she was super into Mondrian. So it's these like bold yellows, bold reds, whites, Mm -hmm. and touches of black. And Mm -hmm. I just absolutely loved what she was putting together. It just felt like she had this puzzle and a painting all in one. And I loved the tactile nature of it. So that was like the first time that I actually noticed the existence of mosaics. I'd never paid attention to it before. So that was really the start of my curiosity of it. Hmm. I mean, that had to have been powerful, though, because it changed your entire life. Yeah, it was. It was like I was a stereotypical artist of that time where I was doing a little of this, a little of that, including being very chemically dependent. And I was just I was all over the place and going nowhere. Mm-hmm. And that gave me something to be extremely curious about that to this day I have not still felt like I could say that I've tapped the surface of it, which is what's kept me in it and engaged for as long as I've been in it. Because when I discovered that with her, I I think it's probably 27 years ago. Yeah. And then I've had my company for 21. Oh, wow. So I've been adamantly curious about it for that long. I'm not, I'm not sick of it and I'm still just as curious. I get, excited over seeing patterns and color for sure. Wow. I mean, it's one thing to have it change the entire trajectory of your art career, but then to launch you into being an entrepreneur, I still can't get past the power of that moment because there's, it's, it's rare that people have a moment that powerful. Yeah. And when I think it wasn't, let's say it wasn't necessarily that, that moment, I would say the moment for me, I realized, um, so when I discovered that table and in that era of my life, I was waiting tables. I was going to university. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for my living. And I was waiting tables as well. And I was partying pretty hardcore. And I remember the, for me, I think the turning point was, I remember the very first time this is like fast forward. And I found a small local shop to do, part-time work in, in their ceramic tile studio. And I remember being at a party for the first time describing what I did, which was not waitressing. I was talking about (laughs) being an artisan. Yeah. And I distinctly remember what dignity felt like. And that was the first time that I was like, actually felt like I was really proud of what I was doing. Like I wasn't even making money doing it. Like I, I didn't even get a paying job in it, but just, I was very proud of what, I was learning and doing Mm -hmm. 
And that was my turning point of having that dignity to build off of. I couldn't have articulated at the time that it was dignity, but it (laughs) was something about feeling like I had located something that I was going to commit and focus on, which was not present in my life prior to that. Yeah. Dignity is such a powerful word and concept and necessity for our life. And Mm -hmm. I mean, how, how long did it take you to look back and be like, that's what dignity was? Maybe, maybe like six years, yeah. six, seven years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound like a short trip <laughs> into your past. No. It's like, no, yeah. that's, that's some reflection. It took a second. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So at what point do you decide, hey, I'm going to sell my jazz CD collection to fund your first kiln? Because, you know, that's on one hand, a very bold thing to do. But anyone that grew up in the era that we did where we were collecting CDs, there's a sadness to that, too. Yeah. And at that time, I think a lot of people in our era would relate to the BMG or Columbia House method of obtaining CDs mm-hmm. and uh, by mail. Uh, yes. So that was that was how I was one. getting a lot. Mm-hmm, that's right. <laughs> or cheapo, cheapo records. I don't know if that was nationwide or if that was local. Okay, mm. so maybe it was just local. Not familiar. I decided on that. So I was transitioning from being employed by somebody else's ceramic tile studio to deciding to start my own thing. And I was trying to figure out how I would quote unquote buy time. And Mm. so it was between a tax refund and getting this like all cash job where at the time it was $900, but for me it felt like $90,000. And then um, realizing that I could pull together a significant amount of CDs and sell those off for cash as well. So that was this like $2,800 seed fund-ish uh, that at the time was like $200,000 to me. Right. Like I could make that <laughs> go really far. Um, so that didn't necessarily buy the first kiln, but that bought me the confidence to go out on my own. Actually, yeah. my mom, my mother helped me with my first kiln by borrowing against her life insurance policy. I still have that wow. first kiln. It is still running. Oh, Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I know, right? Oh, uh, yeah that that BMG era. I tell you, it's, a, it's well, amazing. What's kind of cool? It really is. And what's kind of cool is like within twenty four months or less of that, the iPod came out, mm-hmm. and so it was like just in a nick of time that I could actually get any <laughs> cash for those now relics. So I feel like. I wish I could claim I saw that coming, but right. you know, there was that was definitely a lucky moment for sure. Yeah. I, I had a similar moment in my artistic career where um, I sold my rock CD collection, a lot of rare vintage, you know, like imports and things like that at a place in Portland, Oregon called Music Millennium and ended up buying a camera. And there's just something about those moments where we're like, I'm going to go in on what's important to me by cashing out (laughs) what was once important to me. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. It's very resourceful. Yeah. 
I, I don't know if I would have necessarily called it resourceful for me at the of time. Same. But <laughs> Currently, it makes sense. It's appropriate to yeah. label it as resourceful. Um, at the time, yeah, it's, it was definitely <laughs> of the moment decision that was more of like a survival move than this yeah. like strategic play. But it worked out is the point. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I love that. At what point, like, did you always think business was going to be something you would do or did a, did someone come alongside you and say, you know, entrepreneurship is the way? No, I mean, rewinding back 21 years ago, entrepreneur wasn't <laughs> a thing that people aspired to be. You were still worried about by your family that you didn't have a real job lined up. That was the the reality of that, especially if you were doing something related to the arts, the question Mm -hmm. was, what is your backup profession going to be? Or what's the real job that's going to supplement what you're doing? I think too, the original vision was to make mosaic art. It wasn't to create tile for kitchens and bathrooms. So there was absolutely a pivot. Like the naysayers can be like, yeah, we won because you're not making art. But I was like, no, I am. It's just like art that you cover on your wall in your kitchen and bathroom and it's utilitarian. (laughs) Basically it's still art and we still color on your walls. It's just more standardized, but Mm. yeah, it is, it is tough to sell purely art, but I was so committed to making a living to something related to my art that I was just very committed to that. I I was like, well, I, why should I have a backup? Like, I don't, I don't want to have a backup. This is it. Like I need to make this work. So I think, that worked to my advantage that I wasn't trying to also do that backup, but really figure out how to be all in. Yeah. Was, was that something that it sounds like it just made sense to you to go all in and not feel like you had to have like both things going forward, art and entrepreneurship and see which one won out. Yep, exactly. It was just having it all work together. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people mistake that art is separate from business, but, and life is separate from sales. It's all to get like, you're, you're always selling, you're selling so many different Mm -hmm. things. Like it's not separate. You need, everyone needs to make a living. Everyone needs to pay their rent or mortgage, everyone needs to eat. So the thing that you're doing as a profession, unless you come from a trust fund or like wealth and that's just handed to you, you have to figure out how to make money. And I had already had experience working in corporate America. And for (laughs) me, and I don't actually naysay corporations because Mercury Mosaics is actually a corporation, but I'm talking about the more like just ginormous corporations where you never know like what is going on in the different parts of the organization. And you're among tens of thousands of employees. I'm just, I'm speaking to that. And while I had the best medical and dental ever, and I had a free cell phone, I, I gained so much weight. I was unhappy. There were people on like high on cocaine, just working in the cubicle next to me. There was just like all these crazy (laughs) shenanigans going on and it was absolutely awful. Yeah. So I knew I wanted to do something and I didn't necessarily want my day job to suck the life out of me while I was in pursuit of building something artistic. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that you said it's all interconnected Mm -hmm. and that I think I saw something that 
art is not a side project. And I just, I, what I love about that is, is one of the things that often happens with creative people is they think of how can I, how can I sell services? And so they create this service, but then they also have this other thing that they dream about one day. And so as they go down further in their career, this, this gulf appears between what they want to do in the future and what they're doing, you know, as a service. And I love that you're saying, no, bring that in so that it's all growing together. At least that's what I heard. Yep. No, I think um, you really captured it there. I don't think it has to be separate. In fact, Mm -hmm. it's necessary for it to be working together a hundred percent. Yeah. But then inevitably it comes, uh, that, that feeling of uh, how do I do this? Like, how do I manage all of these things? How do I manage an eventful day? How do I manage the uneventful days? And how do I do this? Not by myself. How do I let people in? Was Mm -hmm. that a challenge to you to let people in? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I say I'm I'm a recovering perfectionist. And I think perfectionists have a hard time letting other people do things and especially allowing other people to do things and mess up and get back up. So I've come a long way. Like in the beginning of my business, it was hard for me to <laughs> like, it was actually, it's insane. But at the time it was like where I was at, but I had a specific way that I liked our studio sink rinsed out or like the way that the glaze brushes needed to be rinsed out. Like I had very particular sensibilities about those things and it's gone through different chapters along the way. Ironically in this current chapter, like some of the cleanliness and organization within the different phases of our manufacturing team, they take better care of their tools even than when I was in the early days. In fact, I haven't been a part of our tile manufacturing line since 2010. In fact, oh, so wow. I'm a mosaic artist. I'm not a tile maker. So it's good for this company that it's not leaning on how Mercedes made tile. I got us started, <laughs> but damn, we had to get, we had to improve much, much past that. I'm absolutely a mosaic artist. I'm a, I, I love color. And I am apparently it's just like built in me to be a sales and marketing engine. It's Mm -hmm. one of those things that I did not feel that I ever had any formal training, but just looking back at how resourceful I was as a child, because I, I grew up in a very poor household. I wasn't like given things we had very minimal um, things we had access to for school clothes. Like I, figured out how to make cash at different neighbors' houses. Like I was very resourceful, but I never looked at it as any other way. Like I didn't get, when I got my A pluses, I didn't get the $20 bills per A plus like my peers. It was just, no one was checking on my grades. I just, it was kind of just built in me to always excel because I'm kind of gamifying things with myself. (laughs) Yeah. It was almost the opposite. I wished people would check on me when I was a kid. But I think the freedom that was in my life growing up worked to my advantage because I was such a hard ass on myself to begin with. So whatever we want to call that is what it was. 
<laughs> that's called growing up in the 80s and 90s. That's what that's yeah, called. Yeah, that's Latch called Latchkey Kids. Latchkey yes. Kid, yeah. Latchkey Kids Unite. Yes. That's right. Yep. We all uh -huh. we all learned how to figure it out. Yeah, figure it out, go where it need to go. And like I think my stepmom probably wonders, you know, how do I <laughs> how do I work up work from home all day long? And it's cause like you figure it out. Grew mm -hmm. up this way and going to an office is challenging <laughs> more mm -hmm. than figuring it out at home. Yeah. So as a sales and marketing engine, I, I mean, what does that look like from a business perspective? Because you, you mentioned that you're just wired for it, but I would also argue that you're wired as a visionary too. Because you. you're, you're bringing people in to this thing that you built because yeah. you see something. Yeah, I mean, I think like the entire business, like something had to be built first before it could be delegated to someone else. So I think just, mm -hmm. you know, the basics of a small business um, needing email marketing, needing a website, needing establishment on social channels, needing print collateral and external representation, which isn't necessarily part of our model, but we're balancing that out and people to go out and make presentations like these all started with <laughs> um, but I think a small business, you know, once I started valuing sleep, mm. uh, you decide that it's time to delegate because, and this is taking us way back, you know, to the first 10 years, but there was a period of this evolution of this company where I did not value sleep. And I, you make interesting decisions when you're in your twenties and mm -hmm. you utilize different chemical compounds sometimes, some of us more than others to quote, hack the matrix. But as you age and your body talks to you and sometimes yells at you, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, let's get some sleep. Let's be level-headed. Let's put good things into our bodies and let's learn how to delegate and, you know, lean into building standard operating procedures and identifying the KPIs and all that so that people can kind of take over this dashboard you've built and then start allowing them to kind of sculpt and fine tune and hmm. simplify the, the dashboards that you build. Does that answer your question? It does. Cause I think what it does is the biggest, one of the biggest challenges when you start by yourself is to let anyone in, mm -hmm. whether, whether you value sleep or not. And, and mm -hmm. I think that there's, there's something in that willingness to say, I, I want something more than what I have. Yes. Yep, absolutely. And I think, too, once you start letting people in, then you start to get motivated by retaining them. And then you grow beyond the retention and then you become somebody that wants to grow their career. I think that's probably the hardest point for me is that the business model that I have won't allow that all to occur as quickly as I would want to. I think mm -hmm. it would be so much easier if there was endless amounts of funding available before you produce the revenue. But as like a handmade <laughs> ceramic tile company, like my largest enemy through the years has been time and like what's mm. humanly possible. So 
that's one thing that I have a crush on for like tech entrepreneurs is their ability to scale is so it's like it, it's unfathomable what mm-hmm. happens in that world versus that's like I come back into a little bit of a not black and white but just like very analog relative to that and what's possible for manufacturing something and being human friendly and being sustainable and wanting to grow people's careers and knowing like because I'm always keeping a scorecard for myself that I've never achieved 100% mm-hmm. of what I want to do for people mm-hmm. so that like as an entrepreneur that tough place of like you're never going to have every employee celebrating exactly where they are and never achieving that so I think that's one of those almost impossible scorecards that I keep mm-hmm. that also keeps me in that relentless pursuit yeah. With a scorecard, I can't relate to that at all. But I don't think I've actually written out what I'm what's on my scorecard. Like mm-hmm. do you have you actually formalized it or codified it in a way that says this is what I'm measuring against on myself? Um the one on myself personally, I haven't necessarily formalized it have I formalized business goals that are measured on weekly, monthly, quarterly, and annual basis? Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I would say my personal scorecard is more like that, like voice in your head. That's like constantly there commenting and criticizing all the things. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I imagine, you know, you probably don't want to like, put all of the voices in your head onto like a scorecard in reality. Cause then you have to like, look at it and deal with it. <laughs> yeah. And some of it you're like, Oh, I'm not even paying attention to what you just said. Like what? Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. But some of it is good. Some of it is good to really ground you for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been going through the process of emptying out all the tasks that I, that I have to do into notion. And it's kind of like when you start actually doing that work, getting anything out of your head or a collective head um, and start seeing what's there, um, then I think it it really reveals some interesting things about how much you're actually doing, how much maybe you aren't doing. Mm -hmm. And so since you've actually clarified those weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual goals, you know, everyone gets on the same page a lot easier. Absolutely. Yeah. I have no idea where I was going with that question. So, (laughs) okay. Yeah. It sounded more like a statement. Um, Yeah. I, I not quite sure where I was headed with that thought. Well, I can expand on it to save your face is basically. Oh, don't save my face. Oh, I mean, oh no. (laughs) When you are building a company with other people, people and you do care about them being able to grow you want to create that transparency and visibility into what the organization how it's performing because Mm -hmm. how are they supposed to know how they can contribute if they don't know the overall health of the company and just really understanding the the key things that are important in their areas if it if it was if it was any other way i can't imagine a company existing very long because how do you it's like blindly building something if you will 
Like I think mm-hmm. it needs to be more and more normal to have yeah. transparency in companies so that that statistic of most small businesses fail can soon be <laughs> a most small businesses thrive because they're implementing yeah. this level of transparency and ownership for the team to actually understand how they can contribute to the health and future of the business. Yeah. I remember where I was going now with that question, because when you See? said transparency in the business, how do you mm-hmm. handle the transparency of you, the leader, versus transparency as the business? Because sometimes you know there's that level of humanness that you need as a leader, but if you're too human <laughs> with, with your staff, they might be like, whoa, what's going on here? <laughs> sure. I, I just... For me, it's just consistency and just being straight up with where things are at. And yeah, sometimes it's exciting to talk to the team about it. And sometimes it's like, what a drag. Um, but it's, I just keep it real. And yeah, I have actually gotten feedback that like, maybe you're sharing too much. It's like, well, my idea of transparency is transparency. So part of it is like, I don't know if they were ready for transparency. <laughs> because... I I just I I'm very straightforward. So yeah. I've just hand it's kind of like if you just tell the truth all the time, then you're not gonna have to keep track of what truth or not truth you've told. Mm-hmm. You're just telling it like it is. So I've just handled it like that. It can be as hyper transparent as people want it or as like laid back transparent, but it's all there to be seen should it need to mm-hmm. be seen. Love that. So one of the things that I have been obsessed with this year and next year and probably for a good while moving forward are workspaces. Mm. And I love on your website that you said a space is only as good as the materials it's made of. Like I just, I, that took my love for workspaces and just shot it to the moon. Cause it's just like, it's amazing how workspaces affect us and our creativity. Yeah. Well, I mean, where I'm sitting is like our conference room. Whoops. There's my shim that fell. Like just <laughs> even these like great windows that are oh. in here. And I really wanted like one of my favorite local graffiti <sighs> artists to do like just something wild. And then yeah. like this, the table, look at, you'll see what's holding up this laptop. The good old uh, space oh. heater. But like this really cool reclaimed table from amazing lumber from fallen trees in Minneapolis turned into this really cool statement and just like, you know, a basic whiteboarding wall. But yeah, you know, it took us being in business for a very long time to set up like a cool conference room like this. And it, it really does make a difference. Like it's awesome to have people be able to come into an office like this and the feel and the vibe like yeah in business you work on hard things you work on fun things easy things but i think just being in an environment that is uplifting to begin with makes all the difference in the world and like mm-hmm. where we're making our tile primarily is a dream space filled with really great windows and really designed for artisan manufacturing it's it's very different because we have a manufacturing location also. So I'm here in Minneapolis, but we also have a manufacturing location in Wadena. Mm. And it was a big reminder to us too, because again, we're working with very 
modest budgets and our budget to create a space from scratch, if we had millions of dollars, we could have what we worked, you know, 17 years to build in Minneapolis. But it was very humbling to be like, damn, you know, I can only put in like 10 windows Mm -hmm. instead of like 29, which would be like the first (laughs) choice. So it's, you you can feel the difference between our Minneapolis location, which is the labor of like 17 years of like mm-hmm. building up, whereas like our Wadena location is the result of like starting something from scratch that didn't exist more than, you know, two and a half years ago. So I definitely think materials in a space make a very large difference. Yeah. And I love, thank you for the tour of that room too, because mm-hmm. I, I love the fact that you hired a graffiti artist for the mural behind you. And mm-hmm. I love, love, love the dimensional type on the wall. I mean, it's so cool. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I love the space a lot. So when you walk into the two different spaces, the Minneapolis location and then, is it Medina or Wadena? Wadena. Wadena. How how do you feel the difference in each location apart from just the number of windows and building things from scratch? Like, do you feel an energetic difference? Yeah, like, for example, the Wadena space is more like a typical, like, plant, like manufacturing mm-hmm. plant. In fact, you can tell, like, the space really just wanted to stay windowless. So mm-hmm. there's a disruption to it. There's, in the areas where we've done some interior renovating to like the kitchenette there's like super cool light fixtures hanging for you can just you can tell what our touches are in the space and the differences Mm. that it makes but it not being this vintage former world war ii double story (laughs) you know two banks of window location here with just like the architectural details that don't exist after the year 1930 like there's just the materials speak, you know, it's, and we didn't, in Minneapolis, like we also had a windowless space for a a second. So they have windows in Wadena. We, we operated without windows for a chapter and it it makes a really big difference. So just to be able to even have that natural light Mm -hmm. is a game changer. And also it was a long time before we had studios that actually had our own tile permanently installed. So there's not that in place yet in Wadena. Like it's like a partially completed situation, but to just kind of look at again, like our OG location, like man, years and years and years went by before we had that ability to just beautify it the way that we wanted to. So all things in due time, like as the business has that health to do that, but it, it makes a difference. So you really cherish those small improvements and you really, you start to feel a difference when they're in place. Yeah. I love that. Was there, was there anyone that taught you how to make space your own? In all of the spaces that I've brought to life, the actual secret is I collaborate with people. So collaborating with an architect, Mm -hmm collaborating with a designer, um, leaning into the business, the building owner, if they are passionate about working on the space. And also just once you are working on plans and agreeing on what something's going to look like, I've always Mm -hmm. used 
just my gut on how it feels when I see the design. So I don't ever go forward and build something that I'm like, oh, that's absolutely terrible. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because like the space that I'm sitting in, actually, the first iterations of the design, um, like our office was designed so that desks were just like facing a white wall and mm. didn't move forward on doing that. So it was like being more creative and just knowing like, yeah, I'd go there and work every day. Okay, good. Let's build that versus like, oh, this is all right. Let's, okay, well, let's see how it goes. No, it's it's definitely been building something that I'm excited about. Yeah. What would your staff say about the workspaces? Is, is Did they have a say into it at all? Or do they get to add their stamp to their space as they work? Some of the staff had contributions to the Northeast space and just seeing it as a blank slate um, was all the communication that I needed when they saw the space. And the team working in Wadena didn't have a say in that because they didn't exist as a team while we were building the space out. And that's, that's definitely something like the size that we are and how things have developed over time. Like we're definitely a startup that spread out over approximately a 17 to 18 year period and have been a maturing enterprise over the last three years. So a lot of decisions, like major decisions, sometimes when there was like a couple of us intending to involve other team members, we just, we still have that culture with like, what does this have to do with me or too busy mm-hmm. to get into the, like the real future planning or visioning. So mm-hmm. the newness of that participation and leadership as a company is really within the last few years. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So that had to have been a big shift then for you. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm just, I'm excited that there's more leadership and ownership at the table because it is, it's, it's a lot to think mm-hmm. that, one founder is going to really be able to call every shot like that does not it doesn't translate to have it that way so yeah how have you had to shift who you are to step into that role for me over the last two years i think it kind of took everything turning on its side in the world for me to also just tap in back into like, why did I start this in the first place? What was I doing? Who was I? I? I'm a mosaic artist. Okay. Well, I have totally let that go to the wayside. I am filling in gaps in HR. I am building a website. I'm figuring out how to get products loaded onto a website. I'm figuring out weekly sales goals. And it really took me... I'm writing out standard operating procedures because nobody else wants to do it. Or I'm fixing the sample packaging, like literally just going through all that endless minutia. And a couple of years ago going like, Oh my gosh, you know what? Like I'm really glad that I'm doing a lot of these things that need to be filled in the company. But if this keeps going this way, I'm literally going to be blaming the company on my declining happiness because that whole dignity thing was starting to fade. So I was like, Mm -hmm. wait a second, I haven't actually like made a mosaic for a a lot of years because (laughs) wait a second, it seems like an endless road of infinity. Like this small business of mine is going to need me on these endless sea of minutiae tasks until 
I stopped that madness. And I didn't even realize it was madness until it was mm-hmm. easier to switch back and forth of working on site and working from home and really distinguishing working on a business versus in it. Mm-hmm. And then it came into just starting to have that discipline of the next things to be identified to let go and to just really embrace failing fast through things because there's going to be a lot more failure if you let things go because there's going to be learning curves and there's just Mm -hmm. going to be things that aren't scalable anymore. So I just really leaned into being okay with that versus like freaked out by it or... (laughs) And then started using my own personal art as an outlet to kind of channel the like, oh, like when you start to let go of things (laughs) that have been like your baby for 10 years and you're just like, shit, 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 shit. You know, it's totally (laughs) not going at all like it's supposed to or like you let it go like crazy off the rails because that's the only way to get the area to stand up on its own. But you're willing to come in and clean it up after, you know, flirts with the edge of like Mm -hmm. major business disruption, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that because what I heard too is is there's a shift from the metaphorical mosaic artists because doing all of these business tasks, I mean, that's a form of mosaic. You've got this piece here, this piece here, yeah. this piece here, and the, the end result is your business. But, mm-hmm. but it's all metaphor. It's all in the air. It's all ephemeral. <laughs> it needs to be there. But if... Mm-hmm. but work with your hands. I actually want to move actual physical things. I love that. Yeah. 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 Big time. So it turns out I still love making mosaics. And yeah, Mm. a couple of years ago, I assigned myself the task of actually completing a lot of the mosaics that I had started over the years. And I found with my own integrity slash dignity that I had done a much better job of starting and never finishing work Mm. and I was like look at this like I'm so like disciplined when it comes to being a founder and CEO but I am just (gasps) I am just a sloppy artist and no like follow through on the work like what am I doing so Mm. I I kind of disciplined myself for a year to just form the habit of showing up for eight hours a week. Like that was kind of the starting point. It didn't matter if it was all in one day or if it's like an hour and a half here or there, but I like would log my time for myself to show myself that I could establish a new habit of just investing eight hours a week into this art. And that would also force me instead of doing the, you know, trophy 60 to 80 hour work week on the one business concept of just disciplining myself in those like smaller baby steps of like, what do I need to subtract from my time so that I can reallocate that time? Cause I'm always going to be like doing something in those hours. Like I'm somebody that doesn't chill and I've just <laughs> yielded to it. Like I'm always going and doing mm-hmm. something. So it's like, okay, good to re- reallocate those eight hours a week. What do I have to give up? Where do I need to put it? And so mm-hmm. just putting in the work instead of thinking it's and of course, there's a part of me that just wants to like wiggle my nose and it's just like handled. <laughs> right. But then really being willing to do the work of figuring out, could someone else do this piece? Does it need to go away? Like just mm-hmm. being pretty methodical about that as well. Yeah. Something you said just resonated with me in that keeping track of the time that you actually showed up to work on that eight hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something that, is powerful in that because if we don't log it, 
we log it in our mind and it's always mm-hmm. going to be different than the actual yep. log. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And I remember one week I had invested like 26 hours on the personal mm-hmm. art. However, a lot of those 26 hours was spent preparing for a local art event and also really analyzing like the result of those extra hours and really using that to be able to scrutinize like love the idea of the event. But I was like, Oh (laughs) shit. Like I just invested 26 hours and it didn't really do me any favors for revenue. Like, okay, this event is not a match for what I'm trying to do with this. Mm -hmm. So then the following year I didn't have to like question if I should do it or not. I was like, I can't make an emotional decision. Like, cause my, my hours are really, they're very valuable. And even though it was like exciting and it seemed like this big thing, 17 years ago it's just it's a different beast for (laughs) what the goals are today so yeah just being interacting with those things differently Mm -hmm. i realized for me the most value like i just needed to be back into the process of making in a way that made sense for me and that allowed me really to prioritize innovation and when i'm you know tapping into that process i'm much more able to be innovative without having it all figured out before you really go into that. I think you just need to be connected to the creative process. So it was just a matter mm-hmm. of kind of finding how I could have less distractions in my mind, like berating myself. And I found like there was a lot of open space once I finished all mm-hmm. these incomplete projects, like that inner yeah. critic in that like creative sector started simmering down and I was more using that like inner thought to like think of what I could build and do versus being guilty with myself that I had all this incomplete shit. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Uh Yeah. Yeah. So with, with that clear and you're working on your art, but you're also building this business still, how do you keep looking to the future? Like how do you vision forecast for next year, five years, 10 years. Yeah. I would love to hear from other people how they can do (laughs) five years and 10 years because the first time that I really worked on the five and 10 year visioning is the deepest trouble I've gotten my company into. Oh, interesting. Um, And so what I've like kind of scaled back to is thinking with like the next six months to three years Mm. that, is more in the pocket. Like this will be the first year when we do annual strategic planning that we're just really dialing in for a quarter and having much more broader level initiatives for a year. Um, And for us as a company, honestly, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that we've partially baked, if you will, no pun intended as a tile (laughs) making company, but I'm all for the puns. Yeah, it's like bringing in that same discipline that I did with myself as a personal artist back into the company now and mm-hmm. seeing what that does for this company to actually not try to have all these other initiatives that relate to nothing that we've been working on over the last few years, but actually going back into this playbook of things that we might not have launched certain initiatives, but we could have got it like 80% of the way there and like bringing it back out and examining like what will it take to actually finish this and give it the opportunity that it deserves to see the light of day. That's going to be a lot of our theme in the beginning of 2024. 
cool. and reap some of the benefits of work we've actually already put in over the last three years. But the last three years were so chaotic that I think it was easy to like leave and and not finish things and see things through because everyone's overplayed on the word pivot. And it's like we pivoted <laughs> so many flipping times to achieve other results. Yeah. Well said. Thanks. Well, as we wrap up our time together, what wisdom would you like to leave with the audience? Oh, gosh. I think what I would say is you really never know um, where you're going to find the best solutions for what you're intending to build at work. And I think everyone should allow themselves the grace to find what makes them happy and remaining disciplined and achieving results. But I don't think the two are separate from one another because it was really in that eight hours a week creative zone that I would use that time to solve, like as a manufacturer, like one of our largest nightmares that was threatening our business health was like, you have all this obsolete inventory that you can't use to fill orders. Mm -hmm. And it was a problem. But then once I started investing in creative time, it became like, okay, I know how to use this trash per se (laughs) to turn into treasures that other people can use for creativity. And that's, I mean, that's very much how our sister brand Mosaic Candy Shop was born, but it wasn't this like straightforward step one, two, three. It came from allowing myself the time to tap out of the day-to-day business and just work on something that would fill my well. So that I think that's the biggest piece of advice I would have is like, it is a priority to fuel yourself with some piece of joy that actually is joy and your joy might not look like someone else's, but I think it's extremely important for you to figure out what it is. And it's not like Pollyanna or pie in the sky, but it's like your own dignity and integrity with yourself. And if you can have that in check with yourself, no one else like, you know, following up with you, you can be so much better to serve other people and to, tackle problems because problems are never going to run out. (laughs) No. Fantastic. Well, final question for you. What book, podcast, or resource is blowing your mind right now? Oh, gosh. I mean, the podcast that I'm listening to, that's almost, it's so funny. It's called Smartless. Mm -hmm. And yeah, with Jason Bateman, um, Will Arnett, and Chris, what's his his name Sean Hayes Sean Hayes um as an 80s child like just a, such a fan <laughs> of Jason Bateman but his mm-hmm. his humor like they're just so full of nonsense that you know right now something that isn't serious um is extremely it just it helps me tap out of yeah. the serious problems so Anytime I listen to that podcast, it, uh, I love belly laughing and it does the <laughs> trick every single time. An intriguing question from this interview with Mercedes has to do with when she was talking about the shift from doing everything herself to letting others in and contributing. What do you need to let go of? But deeper than that, how does your grip your obsession, your control over every detail keep you stuck on that endless road of infinity. 
perhaps take a madness check by looking at how you're taking care of yourself or not, and whether you're able to invest in creative time or not. I think those two areas are great places to start, and I know I need to spend a lot more time in both of those areas for myself. What about you? Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.